0: This episode was recorded remotely during the COVID-19 pandemic, and thus, there may be periodic sound quality issues. Thanks for your understanding. This is Wise Health for Women Warriors, the podcast that brings expert providers to anyone treating female military patients and their families. I'm Lieutenant Colonel Erin Kaiser, Program Director of the Sashek Obijoin Residency, and today I'm speaking about breastfeeding with Lieutenant Colonel Retired Christine Orcross. Lieutenant Colonel Christy Norcross spent 22 years as an active duty labor and delivery nurse, midwife, and even served as the midwife consultant to the Surgeon General. She has personally breastfed three children, including having to pump much of that time due to her crazy schedules. She also established the MHS Breastfeeding Caregiver Facebook page. And thank you so much for being here, Colonel Norcross.
1: Oh, Dr. Kaiser, thank you so much for that warm welcome. I will do anything I can to make the process of breastfeeding a little easier
0: for our population. Well, thanks so much. I think this is a really important topic because, you know, our active duty service women don't have the option to stay at home for a year and breastfeed their baby. They have to go back to work. And you know, as an OBGYN, I really feel that I had very little formal education about breastfeeding. Um, really, what I learned was on the job as I breastfed two children and navigated going back to work. So I think if, you know, if I as an OBGYN have little formal education, I imagine a lot of primary care providers out there probably feel similarly, um, you know, not really well prepared to, to manage this as a healthcare provider.
1: Oh, I agree. Uh, I, as a midwife, um, had my first daughter, and I, I even felt like midwifery school wasn't an, near enough to prepare me for the breastfeeding experience. And I had helped hundreds, maybe thousands of women at their first uh, birth experiences or shortly thereafter, and I wasn't ready myself.
0: I think I learned more on the job probably than in all of those experiences. So let's start with some basics. You know, how long is it recommended that women breastfeed their children for? So it's recommended by all the professional organizations that
1: um, breastfed babies are fed for six months exclusively. Uh, Six months exclusively means just that, if you can, um, without any supplementation um, or food or fluids. In addition to that, the second six months, it's recommended to feed your kiddo iron-rich foods and um, focus in on really continuing the breastfeeding experience for them. There are some organizations that say that up to two years is ideal, and the average, if you look throughout the world, is quite longer than that. So we are really trying to get our
0: active-duty folks who want to to have the experience that they want. Yeah. So as ACOG, I feel like the American College of Oba Dwayne's, i I recall like 12 months. Um, but yeah, if you can breastfeed longer, I mean, even better just because of the antibodies and the additional health that it provides to the children. Um, so our service members are coming back to work, you know, three months postpartum. That was a huge improvement to extend from six weeks, which you and I probably both got six weeks to um, 12 weeks, but that's still asking those service members to pump for nine months. Um, so- when they come back to work, how often should they be pumping? <laughs> I I
1: hated the pumping portion of breastfeeding. Absolutely. So the goal I would say for every woman is to replace the amount of nursing that the baby would do if you were present with the baby, um, feeding the baby. And so you're looking at realistically in the beginning, it's every two to three hours. And, you know, a pumping session can last anywhere from 20 to 30 minutes. So if that experience of 20 to 30 minutes every two to three hours is pulling you away from your, your duty station, you really end up with an internal struggle. How do you handle that? How do you get your coworkers to cover you? How do you do it if you work 24-hour shifts or if you're a resident or you're a physician? So um, it, is a, it is a big commitment um, and you really have to decide how long and how comfortable you are going to be with that time frame.
0: And then as they as the child gets older, can they space that out more? Because I, I don't expect, I don't recall pumping every two or three hours for like nine months. Oh, no, that would have been, that would have been very challenging.
1: Um, as the child gets older, they tend to have greater volumes and less frequent feedings. So in the beginning, they're more snacky. So once you get to about six months, you're really going to be feeding more like breakfast, lunch, dinner, and before they go to bed. So it's a lot less often. And again, every kid goes through growth spurt, so that can change, um, but it won't be every two to three hours. But you're still going to want to make sure that you're pumping um, adequate amounts of milk and stimulating the breasts on regular intervals in order
0: to keep that milk supply up. Gotcha. Um, And then now TRICARE does cover the cost of a breast pump, um, which they didn't before. I know I remember spending like $350 or something for a breast pump. So there's lots of pumps out there. Are there any pumps you recommend? What should they be looking for when they're looking at purchasing a breast pump? Well, in 2014, it
1: it was such a blessing that Tricare decided decided to cover pumps for our um, de- dependents even dependents, active duty, all of our beneficiaries, and so you really got to think about what kind of need you're going to have for a pump. So you want to start there, and maybe talking to your provider while you're pregnant. And even your colleagues um, can have some input, but not every pump works perfectly for every woman. So if you're looking to go back to work, your active duty women should really be looking for a double electric pump. And there's different brands. You know, you've got your Spectras, you've got your Ardos, you've got your Lancino. Um, There's even one called the Baby Buddha, which is about the size of a um, phone, which uh, my midwives and our IBCLC lactation consultants have recommended. And then on top of that, probably since you've been breastfeeding and I've been breastfeeding, um, they're, they've developed ones called the Willow and the Elvie, and they're hands-off, like on-the-go breast-pumping. And so, yeah, you could be sitting in the operating room um, with your breast pump on and it's doing work while you're focused and distracted on something else.
0: Yeah, it's so crazy because I remember when I had to go like pump, it would be like this big ordeal. You have to take off all your close and like shut the door. And now, yeah, some of my residents I think they're using the Willow sounds like I think the one they're using and literally they can wear it in academics, um in front of a million people and no one knows they're pumping in the operating room and it's kind of really um really kind of changed the idea of breast pumping that you can kind of do it anywhere and in front of anyone because it's so quiet and small and uh, manageable.
1: And it's it's kind of decreased the stigma about having to be um Hit away in the back corner. You can just keep on the go. A lot of women have uh, trouble letting down only because they need that, um, they need to be distracted while they're pumping. And so that gives them the opportunity to do it and continue. And especially as our active duty women go back to work, it is really challenging that um, role between being an officer and being a mom. You're constantly struggling which one is the priority at the moment.
0: Yes, I feel like that's my life still as a mom and working, (laughs) working (laughs) service member. Right, (laughs) trying to decide where you need to be at each time. So let's move to kind of the rights. And what policies are in place to protect our service women? Because we already said now they're coming back 12 weeks postpartum. They're probably going to need to be pumping every two to three hours, maybe for 30 minutes at a time. That's a lot of time to be away or pulled away from their job duties. So I guess, are there policies in place that, that gives these women this opportunity and this protected time? so there are each of the services
1: outlines um not as specific probably uh as time frames but at least um outlines uh recommendations and even protected time in a clean Um, space that is not a bathroom. And so there's guidelines on each of the services and the DOD to what that space should consist of. And they've even gone so far as to talk about um, deployed settings and also um, in the field. So in the field, they do have to offer you a place to pump. However, they don't have to have storage facilities for that. But the truth is, I mean, you can throw your your breast milk in a um, bag with ice uh, with one of those freezer and you're ready to go because breast milk can be good for six to 12 hours, depending on where it is um, at room temperature. So it's always good to have those ice baggies with you. But to be honest, if you're going to the field, you could always consider uh, pumping and not storing the milk. I won't use that phrase. Um, No, no one wants to hear pump and dump, right? Yes. (laughs) That's terrible.
0: So, this is, I think, important because I think many of us healthcare providers are also probably bosses or leaders of in different departments. So there's nothing that says they are allocated a certain amount of time or sessions for pumping, but we do have to give them some time, some space, access to a refrigerator or to store their breast milk. And I think just even being aware that, yeah, it might be every three hours for 30 minutes as a boss to be like, wow, I really need to, um, to support them to um, have that time.
1: Oh, absolutely. And it's good during your um, prenatal visits, even um, preconception counseling to start talking about some of those things, because being a mom is um, it has a lot of effect on your ability to perform your job. Now, in the grand scheme of things, we can argue that your return to duty and commitment to the military is um, greatly increased by the amount of support that you get during a pregnancy and our breastfeeding experience.
0: And is there any data that our are, are service members breastfeeding equal rates as non service members, as the civilian population? How are we doing with our breastfeeding rates?
1: So we do really good leaving the hospital. In fact, we're better leaving the hospital. But as we return to work, that um, time frame as we return to work is very um, tenuous. And so we tend to have a lot of our women drop off at that time, as opposed to uh, our civilian counterparts who maybe don't have the same um, return to work requirements.
0: And, you know, I will say that, you know, the army is still behind. I'm going to call them out. So most, um, most services you have been protected to not deploy for 12 months. Um, the army just in the last like 18 months changed it to six months to a year, um, which you can't deploy, which is huge. Um, because you know, I deployed when I was six months postpartum, I was exclusively breastfeeding and had to pump and dump all over Kuwait and um Bagram to get to my base in Afghanistan and I had to pump and dump and it was devastating and I feel like that I got emotional when they published that saying they're going to protect them now for 12 months because I feel like that how can we say you need to breastfeed for a year but then we're going to send you to Afghanistan at six months postpartum I mean, it's just ridiculous but unfortunately the army still does require you to pass an APFT or ACFT six months postpartum despite all the other services giving women a year to prepare for PT tests. Oh, I think I think the army is going to come around.
1: I think they will standardize things across the board, and we're all going to be on the same
0: uh, page before long. So, um, let's move to some things. What do providers need to know when we're taking care of our service members or their dependents um, and they're breastfeeding? You know, I think the first question I oftentimes get is, you know, what medications are safe in pregnancy.
1: So, what you're going to find is that medication safety is very similar to what you would think you would give you know a pregnant woman now, I do know that because you and I work in this career field, we're much more comfortable with some of those medications that don't are maybe category C or just don't have the evidence behind them because we use them on a regular basis. so I know that you get the phone calls in the middle of the night saying, "Is it okay to give him this antibiotic or the other?" And what do you think about this uh, narcotic and what do you think about the surgery and do we need to worry about anesthesia? And so um, it can be devastating to women to have to pump and dump. And so when they say cry over spilled milk, they're talking about breast milk. And so if we can prevent that or make sure that they get the correct antibiotics to resolve their Um, infections or their issues without having to battle back and forth, um, we can help them. So let's say you're a provider in the ER or you're a family practice physician. What you'll find is you can always ask an IBCLC lactation consultant. You can always ask one of the OBGYNs or the midwives. But what you can do is LactMed has a great site where you can you can just type in the medication that you want to give and see what category it is, um, and what what the recommendations are. There's also by Hale. There's medications in mother's milk, um, which is a you can get it on book or by the app. Uh, but that seems to be what all of us tend to look up anyway to make sure that we're comfortable, especially if it's something that we're not prescribing on a regular basis.
0: Yeah, and both of those resources that you mentioned, lactmed and BiHale, I'll put those in the show notes so you can link to them. But I agree. You know, the sad part, the truth of the matter is, I think like 90% of medications are going to be Class C, which Class C doesn't mean it's bad or good. It means we've not studied them in breastfeeding women, which this, you know, this brings us to the whole coronavirus, right? We also didn't study them in pregnant women and breastfeeding women, and so we're at a loss. Um, and I think that's a huge... Um, a huge disadvantage to our, you know, pregnant and breastfeeding women that they were excluded um, because ultimately they're going to be, you know, at a greater health risk because they're not going to have access to good information. But I, I would argue that the majority of medications are safe in pregnancy. Um, obviously, look them up, and even with anesthesia, I usually tell people right when you wake up from anesthesia, pump and dump once, and then you should be safe to breastfeed. You know, I think a lot of people, out of you know, fear or caution tell them, oh, do it for 24 hours or they, you know, overdo it. But as you said, it's devastating to pump and dump. Well, if you think about it, as a woman is, say she has a
1: C-section, you're giving her a lot of the same medications and being concerned about them a week later uh, for what they need. So just kind of keep in mind if you, if it would be something that we would use with a pregnant woman or in a C-section, it's probably okay for them. And just look it up, make yourself and the patient feel good about it.
0: Yeah, that's great advice. Just always look it up. It's better to just be sure. And then I think a common problem I see, especially as usually at that three-month mark when women are coming back to work, is, the, you know, they complain about their milk supply decreasing. So what are some tips providers can give to their patients when they note that that their breast milk is decreasing?
1: <laughs> it's rest and stress. <laughs> it's kind of funny to think about it, but realistically, it isn't a magic pill. It's going back to the basics. How often are you putting the baby skin to skin? How often are you stimulating your breasts? How long are you stimulating your breasts? Are you getting enough hydration? And oh. La- lack of sleep,
0: lack of sleep in the beginning can really be detrimental to the mom. Which is kind of counterintuitive because I feel like if you have a baby at home, you're up feeding them every two to three hours, but then you're saying we need a rest. <laughs>
1: right, right. So you have to find ways to, for your partner or your family member or a doula or someone to kind of help you get more rest. Rest when the baby's resting. And I know you're excited in the beginning with a new. Baby, but you know, two days down the road, you kind of get what we're talking about. Um, figure out ways to nurse um, or to sleep with the baby skin to skin with you, and that's one advantage. If you can find a safe way to do that, that'll help stimulate breast milk
0: supply too. And I remember when I struggled with this, they were like, after each feed, put the pump on because that will stimulate. You know the that production that you, your body needs to produce more. But on one hand, I'm like, you know what, do you know how much time that is? Like I'm already (laughs) breastfeeding. Now you want me to put a pump on it for each feed and then wash all those parts. Like that's insane. So I feel like I tried to do it like once a day. Cause I, I get it. But at the same time, it's like, you know, you just, there's only so many hours in the day.
1: Well, you're gonna find that every lactation consultant has a different recipe for success. And so they talk about it as power pumping, but I'm with you once in the morning when your breasts are significantly full, um before that first feed of the morning and the most amount of prolactin is going to be released in your system between midnight and 5 a.m so you have to pump once during midnight and five or you have to empty your breasts in one way so if you get up at four and you power pump for 20 minutes you store that milk away and then you trick your you put the baby on and you nurse them you trick your body into thinking you got twins first thing in the morning so you're more likely to have plenty of milk not only you know, day two, but think about it. If you put away two to four ounces every single day, in the beginning, it may just be one ounce, but as your supply grows and your your body realizes that it needs to make that extra production, you're likely to have, you know, four ounces, two to four ounces every single day from say week three till week
0: 12, you've got a good supply. And then I know there's some medications, whether it's over the counter or prescribed, that you can also take to try and increase your milk production. Thoughts about those medications? Well, again, I go back to the basics. So I, before I prescribe anything
1: or encourage them to take any medications or herbals that are going to stimulate milk production. Um the the just like we were talking about the studies out there regarding medication, there isn't really good evidence to show that they've been successful. Anecdotally, you know, I can even say um fenugreek worked great for me. Um I did smell like maple syrup, but but however, the studies don't support that. So usually returning to the basics considering some kind of warm tea. Um, They do have mother's milk tea, or you can do a fenugreek tea. But honestly, it may just be the warm fluid that is increasing the milk supply at that time. And just for
0: our listeners who may not be familiar with this, so fenugreek is an herbal supplement that you can get like at GNC. I even think you can get it like a drugstore, And it usually comes in either pills or teas or some other formulations. But do you think so maybe placebo, but you feel like it's not harmful and may help? I absolutely. So there hasn't been any harmful effects
1: shown from it. So if it happens to work for you and it's a placebo, good on you, you know, it's not going to cause harm.
0: Okay. And then what about reglin? So Regulin
1: I've seen used um, and I've used it for stimulating milk supply from someone. And it does have some calculated risks with Regulin only because you can have some stimulation of some CNS effects, um, you know, restlessness, sleepiness,
0: tiredness, dizziness, exhaustion, headache, confusion, trouble sleeping. So sure. So some side effects. So yeah, I usually, if I prescribe it, I tell patients to try it like on in the evening or in the weekend first, just because some people do get kind of sleepy from it. But I guess, has that been shown to improve milk production? So...
1: to improve some but not just statistically significant and so for the right patient who is very interested in continuing her breastfeeding experience um it may be the direction you want to go you also you can't quit raglan cold turkey and so you're going to build up and wean off um the medication and again it for the right patient with the right agreement and close follow up i think it's a it's a it's a medication that can work. Yes.
0: And then I know we've thrown out this term already a few times, but we might need to clarify. Um, So I do also want to talk about um, some resources for our primary care providers who probably don't feel super comfortable, you know, going through all these things we talked about, but we do have lactation consultants and that's a covered benefit, right? And maybe explain what a lactation consultant is and kind of what I guess are some other resources out there that, Providers can like refer to for assistance.
1: Oh, absolutely. So, the leader of the team is our IBCLC um, certified lactation consultant. So, they complete over a
0: thousand hours of experience before they are actually um, credentialed. Yeah, I remember when I first looked into this, I had a friend who breastfed like four babies and was interested, and we looked into it and we're like, that's an obscene number of hours. Oh, it's ridiculous. I didn't even
1: qualify after having been a midwife for as long as I had to um, provide the service or to get certified. So there are people who know what they're doing and they have ongoing um, educational requirements also. And so where are they located or how can we access them? Pediatric clinic. Most of the time they sit in a pediatric clinic. Um, and they can be just self-referred to the pediatric clinic. They don't usually have to go through uh, pediatrics or OB, but I would tell you as a family practice provider, having them on speed dial or available to text or email can be fantastic, especially if you run into some of those risk factors and you want them to be seen and, or the lactation consultant is going to need a medical consultation for that patient.
0: And then I remember, I do remember there's some community resources as well. Like there's like the La Leche League and some other um, community things. So it might behoove the provider too, to just know what's available in their communities.
1: Excellent. And so, you know, scheduling a, a sit down or a um, professional staff meeting and having the lactation consultant swing by with some um some handout resources are great. There's almost always the new parent support program are registered nurses. They may or may not be lactation consultants, um, but they can uh, see the patient in their home. And the Army uh, Readiness Center also has the same thing on the Army side. And they are individuals through the family advocacy um, funding that can help women transition that have children up to age three. So they're a great resource. WIC is a great resource. And at almost every MTF at this point, there's some kind of a, uh, Facebook, uh, social media, um, here in Germany, it's called Village Friends. So they have some kind of a breastfeeding support group. In England, I think it's called uh, Meals on Heels. So there's lots of community resources in addition to the
0: professional resources that we offer throughout the hospital. Okay, that's that's a great resource as well. And we'll le- we'll try and list in the show notes all the resources that we're discussing. So alternatively now, there are cases where people need to stop um, breastfeeding, whether it's because I guess you deploy <laughs> in my case, or you have a medical condition or you're just, you're done, right? Cause you decide that you want hours back in the day. Um, so are there recommendations of how women should go about stopping breastfeeding? So, it's a double edged sword, right?
1: If you're breastfeeding a lot, you really want to breastfeed up till the time where you either go back to work if you're stopping or you're going to deploy or for whatever reason. And so, your milk supply may be pretty strong at that point. Cutting it off cold turkey usually is going to result in a lot of pain, um, potentially plugged ducts, and some great discomfort for probably about a week. If you haven't breastfed, um, I had a patient I took care of uh, last year, and she had breast cancer. And so after delivery of her baby, she was getting a mastectomy, and that was a case where we really needed to prevent Uh, milk production or at least decrease the uh, amount that she was going to be receiving. So you can take um, anything that would dry up your milk. Sudafed is a great example. Um, If you're just trying comfort and you want to dry to help dry out or um release some of the milk. You might want to even think about cabbage leaves. <laughs> and I know you guys that are out there, you may have heard it, you may think I'm
0: crazy. But if you take a purple cabbage, those are my favorite. And you're saying cabbage leaf like that you buy at the grocery store in the produce section. Yeah. Okay, cabbage.
1: Yeah, you pull it on your crisper, take a leaf out, break it, break the leaf um and then put it in your bra and put them in
0: there till they're wilty and then take them out and put new ones in and then i remember we always tell them too to like bind their breasts like wear a really tight sports bra
1: Yeah, at least one. You want to make sure the girls are tucked in and not being stimulated. So standing in the shower under warm water, um, putting a baby to the breast uh, stimulates the milk letdown reflex. And so you want to keep away from that if you're trying to dry it up. And to be honest, Motrin helps with some of that, too, because you're decreasing the inflammation process as you're um, uh, stopping
0: the stimulation process. Okay, so wearing tight things, cabbage, and then spacing out the feeds as much as they can. As much as you can. Yes. Okay. And then one of the common complications we see from breastfeeding is mastitis. And I don't, you know, I imagine some of these patients may present to, you know, their, the troop clinic or their primary care provider for this. And so what are some, some pearls for, I guess, diagnosing and treating mastitis
1: well so for starters you're gonna have someone show up in your clinic that's either got a fever or she doesn't I mean that's what it comes down to and right now we're doing a lot of telehealth so you don't necessarily have to see them face to face but you definitely want close follow-up so mastitis is gonna have first of all warm red hot tender spot um, it's that's in the breast or in the axilla and it's very painful usually In addition to that, they're going to have a fever and 99.3 is pretty common. It's I wouldn't consider that a mastitis. You're going to be looking for the higher fevers. And so with those fevers, if you diagnose it as a mastitis, first of all, we got to get that breast emptied and then we've got to put some antibiotics on top of that treatment. So you have to treat it as if it's a plugged duct and you may need to give them something for pain, Motrin. Tylenol-3, something so that they can put the pump or the baby
0: to breast in order to be able to to empty that area that might be plugged. So you talked about fever or not fever. So without a fever, you're saying it could just be a painful plug duct. Yes. Yes. And so you, and even with the fever, you
1: still have to empty the breast in addition to that.
0: Yeah. And I I know we usually say if you're feeling like you can't empty it. Well, first of all, I feel like the baby always has a stronger sucking strength than the pump. So try and put the baby on if you can. And then warm compresses, right? Heat, whether it's a hot shower or warm towels, try and pump in the shower. I mean, anything to try and dilate that duct to release. Well, and if you use your
1: hand or the baby's, Um, position the baby in your um, so that the baby's chin is in the direction of the plug duct or the the painful area then that will help release and break up um, that area and so you'll have better release of that but the shower is perfect you're absolutely right and hand expressing
0: until you can get it soft enough to get the baby latched on again. Okay. And then if we do diagnose mastitis with a fever and then the painful red tender breast, then we do want to do antibiotics. And I would know we classically do like dicloxacillin. I remember this like from medical school. It's like the one and only indication to use dicloxacillin. (laughs) Yes, exactly. Um, And then really, I feel like you should see an improvement within 24 to 48 hours. Yes, and if you don't, that's a problem. And so that's a patient that you're
1: going to want to see back, um, and you may want to consider switching antibiotics at that time. You may want to see, if you haven't seen them face-to-face, you want to feel it and see if you think it's an abscess. And if it's an abscess, there's a whole different treatment that we want to do for that um, instead of just throwing antibiotics at it. We want to open that up, and we can use um, radiology if you've got your specialists there um interventionalists that can uh IND for it and send that to pathology and find out for sure um uh, that we're treating it with the right antibiotic.
0: All right. So the other thing I wanted to talk to you about was you started this Facebook page. Um the lact now I can't remember what it's called, but the lactation, um, the breastfeeding caregiver Facebook page. And when you started it, you said you you got a lot of tips or advice or comments that, that I guess people lactation consultants really wanted us doctors to know um so do you want to share some of those tips or pearls oh yes
1: so i was very surprised so Um, the first thing was that they the things that they didn't want us to say and the the biggest is probably um, oh just go pump and dump I think you know I've mentioned that a couple of times but those exact words can just be devastating to a mom and so staying away from that uh, is one of the things you want to you definitely want to avoid and In addition to that, um, there are places where you can get breast milk through uh, collective banks. There's 17 nonprofit uh, milk banks that provide pasteurized milk that can be purchased. A lot of uh, hospitals will use those for their preterm infants. In addition to um, there are open milk banks, there are some risks with that. So that is, you know, back in the day, they used to have wet nurses. It's someone who is an overproducer. Um, sharing their milk with someone
0: who is an underproducer. Yeah. I mean, I feel like we go back in history and people always had like wet nurses and shared breastfeeding duties. And so I don't think it's like a new phenomenon, but I, I agree. I feel like in the hospital now, you know, the NICU does offer breast milk, you know, um, donated breast milk in place of formula if you want it. And I think it's it's a great idea. And so that's available, not just in the hospital, but at these open milk banks,
1: Yes. And so there's a difference. So the nonprofits actually have pasteurized milk. So there's no risk to the, of infectious disease processes with those. Um, the non-pasteurized would be again, someone sharing milk, um, On friendly terms. And at that point, you haven't done any screening of that milk for any infectious diseases. So those are the calculated risks with that. It's probably going on a lot more than we know. Um, Like you said, it's not a new phenomenon. But um, if you don't even know it exists, you can't even use that as an opportunity. And I do know a couple of my friends, the one who had breast cancer, um, and uh, one of them that had twins. And they were not able to breastfeed their babies like as they wanted so they wanted them to still have that opportunity and so they came to me and wanted to make sure you all knew that they exist and then, um you don't have to know much more than that, other than just being able to say, do some research on uh, Google <laughs> and you can find lots of information. Um, you're going to find in most of our MTFs that there are lactation pods now. And these things are like space age, they're crazy. Um, but what they do is they give a woman a private space to be able to pump or to feed. Now, it's not saying a woman has to cover or a woman has to hide away to do those things, but it does make it, um, if you've got a, a A toddler who's breastfeeding or a child who's distracted easily or you're pumping, you just may not want to be in public. And so it gives you a location where you can be safe. You can have a a clean water and you
0: can um, and have a private space. No, those lactation pods I have seen at the airports even, and I think that's a great addition because, I I mean, I remember before traveling and having to go into a bathroom stall and take up the stall for the whole time, and so these lactation pods are awesome, and I know BMC just got a couple more, and so I'm hoping they're going to be popping up at more and more MTFs um, across the globe because, like you said, it's a private, clean area with access to a plug and clean running water. Well, and what
1: you'll find, Larmsey here has uh, one on the second floor, too. And I'm just so impressed that they spent the money to do that because space is a premium, as you know. And so to have that kind of commitment and availability, it's backed by regulation. So the Army, the Navy, the Air Force supports having those kind of availability for our staff and for our active duty and for our dependents. Um, there's a great book out there by uh, Robin Paul called Breastfeeding and Combat Boots. And so if there are individuals who are going somewhere and they want to be able to send their milk back, they're deploying, they have those unique questions. Um, breastfeeding and combat boots is really where you're going to want to go. And that um, Robin is awesome. She was active duty at one time, too. So when she did this, she keeps talking about pushing out another uh, addition. So be looking for that before too long. Um, but that is out there and that is unique to our
0: population. Yeah. So Breastfeeding and Combat Boots um, is a really cool book to even have like in your waiting rooms or for the patients to see and be able to like look, look through it. Because it, like you said, it's a unique um, it's a unique population, right, that service members have to come back to work, go into combat and still potentially be breastfeeding moms. Absolutely. Um, I have at least uh, I think I might have two or three copies. So I would
1: recommend even just mentioning it to them and they can find the resources uh, sold on Amazon.
0: Well, Lieutenant Colonel um, Norcross, thank you so much for joining us today. I feel like this has really been informational. So a lot of the um, policies that we kind of talked about today, I'm going to put in the show notes because I think sometimes half the battle is just finding them. um, So they'll be there. Um, Any other resources or tips you want to share with us? So I've been
1: thinking we were doing great all these years. You know, in 2010, we started our breastfeeding programs. In 2014, TRICARE started sponsoring pumps. Um, but there was a research study that was done just kind of looking at if women had the opportunity. It was Navy, and it was active-duty Navy folks in 2018 just looking at if they got to breastfeed as long as they wanted to. Forty um, percent, 48% said they stopped before they had planned to stop. That's a big number for having all of the tools readily and the backing of the regulations. So um, 30% stopped just because they didn't feel like they had enough time or they had a lack of time. 38% stopped because they had a lack of understanding from coworkers. Um, 25% said they didn't have space. They couldn't find space to pump. And 45% said they didn't have access to a lactation consultant. To me, that's absolutely crazy considering all the money and resources that I know of that are available for our population. So those of you that are out there, it's very important for you to take to heart to just know those researchers that are out there, if you can have the conversation, point them in the right direction, get them to a lactation consultant, or reach out to one of your midwife or physician colleagues that this is our specialty. Uh, there are a lot of women that are going to benefit.
0: Well, yeah, thank you so much because I feel like just as you said, I feel like that's why this topic is so important, right? If there's a third of women out there who basically stopped breastfeeding because they didn't feel supported despite the policies and all these things, I mean, then we can do better. So thank you so much for joining us today and sharing your passion and expertise about this really important topic. If you want to learn more about us and the great work WIC is doing, go to the WIC SharePoint. The link and email address will be in the show notes. Until next time, be well.